Turn in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And I want to read to you this morning the passage we looked at last week as well as the passage we're looking at today. And uh, so if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, going down through the end of the chapter. God's word says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Uh, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Uh, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Verse 14 Uh, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Uh, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Uh, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, uh, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. With all, uh, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay," says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him; if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by do, uh, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. I uh, do not overcome. Be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God, we ask your blessing on your word this morning, and I ask that you would change our hearts and teach us this new way of living uh, that comes from you, not from man. Uh, God, help us to replace the old ways with the new life that you've, you've granted to us, you've given to us, that which is in Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. May be seated. I think it's funny who's here this morning. Some of you are just had cabin fever. Uh, you just wanted to get out and have a big outing for the week, and you're you're like, I'm going to church no matter what. Um, others of you are show offs. You know, you you just wanted to show that you could do it. It's not a big deal. Others of you live on Bear Valley Road and you're real close, you know, and it's not a big deal. Um, Funny. Um, But as we come together, uh, we come together to hear from God. And uh, and this this morning as we hit this passage, I want to tell you he's kind of in the midst of a bullet list. And this isn't uh, a paragraph with this grand theme that's developed and buttressed by different points and coming together. But he is purposely going, uh, 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 uh. And uh, if, I, if I told you that God has a list of things for you to do, um, you'd think that was very important, right? Um, and if I said it was a list for you, maybe you'd even question why those things are on a list. And you'd kind of look at uh, the person next to you and see what their list had on it and see how you're doing. Um, as you think about this passage, I, I just I don't have any grand um, conclusion, but this list was for Rome. 
the church at Rome. This list was for them. And it's also for us here this morning, uh, but remember how Rome was the big city. Rome was this huge, uh, huge million, two million, maybe even up to four million people in the city. And there were believers in that city that had been changed by the gospel, and now they were called to live differently. And, and I want to like highlight that this is, was specific to their lives. It was new life for living in the big city, and now it's for us too. I think about these last few years of our lives, and how many of you have seen out in public complete strangers being rude to one another in the last few years? Some of you say, well, yeah, of course I saw it. I was the one. I, I was the one. And, and when, when you're, you're mean or rude or uh, grouchy or whatever, um, a, a lot of times we connect it with different things. Well, why are you grouchy? Oh, I didn't feel that well today. Or, you know, somebody, something set me off in the morning and I just had a full bad day and I thought I deserved to be grouchy and uh, those people shouldn't have looked at me. And that's the reason I was grouchy at them. Uh, It it was purposed. It was not something that was unjustified. Um, uh, I was justified to be a jerk. Um, I just want to use the alliteration in there. Um, This morning, as we look at this passage, this bullet list, if you will, uh, it is God's way of handling life. For you. It's how do we now live in Christ, in Christ. And, and for those of us who read this and those of us who have been changed by the gospel, it's a, it's a bit counterintuitive. It's not as simple and, and it's not like the old life at all. I, I think a lot of us are, are logical people and we are people who have you know, a few days under our belt and we, we know stuff. And we go, oh, I can handle this situation. I've done it before. I've done it before. Um, but I want to tell you that this is, for us, maybe counterintuitive to the way we think life should be lived out. Some would say it's upside down, uh, 180 degrees different from the old way. I, I want to say this. Uh, I think it puts side by side uh, Darwinian or Darwin's way and God's way. And the great thing that Darwin uh, brought to our world was this idea of survival of the fittest. And the idea that um, a person, a species, whatever, you know, they, they have to take care of themselves. And to do that, they have to get tough and fight. Fight for what? Fight for themselves. Fight for themselves. And that is how most of the world works. Uh, we've seen it over and over and over again. We've seen it in our lives. We've seen it in our peers' lives. We've seen it in our city and town, state. We see it in politics. We see it in finances. Like, we see it everywhere. It's the idea of, I need to take care of myself. But what I want to say is, is what we're going to look at this morning is God's way, is God's way. And it's based upon, we keep going back to this in 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, in view of God's mercies, meaning uh, because I've been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has shown me mercy that I am his now. There's a different way to live. There's a different kind of living. And this is what it is. So uh, this morning, as we warm up to this passage, I, I want us to be mindful that this is God's way of living for us. Verse 14, that we would bless the persecutors. Bless the persecutors. Verse 14 says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And as we hear that, I I think most of us will say, I never thought of that. (laughs) Never thought of that. Uh, Most of the time, when we hear uh, a phrase from somebody, uh, we respond to them. We respond to them. We respond uh, as their comment or sentence or paragraph. We respond to that in an appropriate response. Uh, if I went like this to you, if I went like this, if I put up my dukes, well, what should you do? Get ready too, right? Um, some of you have already thought this through. You say, well, I don't wait for the, the I want to get that first one in. I want to get that first one in. If I smell it coming, I'm going to start swinging, right? Um, In this passage, it says, for those who are persecuting you, and I want to tell you, as a Christian, this is so hard for us to get, especially for those of you who have come to faith um, recently. I think that most of the time, because we know it is only right to follow after our Creator, it's only right to submit to the God of the universe, it's only right to acknowledge our sin and to have relationship with, uh, through Jesus Christ with the Father, right? It's only right to do that because it is righteous and good to follow after Jesus. Everyone else will know that too, right? That, that's, that's our logic in our mind. But the reality is, uh, even as we looked at, for those of you men who have been uh, following along in our Bible study this last week, uh, we saw from Colossians, that what are we apart from Jesus? We're in the domain of darkness. And so uh, the domain of darkness is where everyone lives that doesn't know Jesus. They're stuck there. They, they can't see. They're, they can't get out. And so a lot of times we expect those people to cheer and respect our newfound faith in Jesus. And they won't. And they won't. In fact... What will they do? Many times they will persecute. They will persecute because you're different, because you're not like them, because they, it's a reminder of their own sinfulness, what you've chosen. And so you become a target, a target of persecution. Um, as you see in verse 13, what should we do when persecuted, we should bless those who persecute us. Bless and do not curse them. He, he reiterates it. You know, um, I think that most of the time we reiterate things if we think that people won't get it the first time. 
right? Uh, in fact, he'll keep coming back to this, this idea of blessing those who persecute us and not cursing them. Cursing, uh, you know, this idea of speaking bad or even the idea of praying God's curses upon them is a natural knee-jerk response. And so he says, let me explain to you a different way. It's blessing. Uh, For those of you Bible students, you may have connected this quickly to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he talks about the same issue uh, of what do you do with those who persecute you? And he says, bless them, bless them. And it's even the idea of asking God to bless them, to seek their good, seek their good. I won't spend a whole lot of time speculating why, but why should you seek the good of a persecutor, someone who's stuck in the domain of darkness? Why? Some of you are, some of you are going, I, I don't know why. That's the whole problem. I want to tell you, uh, you, you can relate. You can relate to being stuck in that place. You, you can think back to your life apart from Jesus, and you say, I was, I was right where this person was. And they're acting, they're persecuting me, but they're really not persecuting me. They're persecuting Christ. And they're really not just angry at me. They're angry at the fact that their own life is empty. Empty. And so the idea for us is that we would bless those who would persecute us, who are stuck in the domain of darkness. Bless those and do not curse them, which cursing seems like the logical thing to do. Verse 15. And, and all this is is a list of things, of, of issues that are different. And obviously that first one is very different. Verse 15, I would say it this way, others-centered living. Verse 15 says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And why is that so different? Why is that so different? Most of the time, uh, we think right here. We think right here. Uh, and we are, uh, th- this idea of someone asking about life, we, we just concern ourselves with what is going on right here. Um, are you having a good day? Yes. So it's a day to rejoice. It's a day to rejoice. And uh, it's even a day for me to talk about what I'm rejoicing in, that you would enter into my rejoicing. Or uh, is it a good day? No, it's a terrible day. Why? Uh, There's this crushing thing in my life, and it's causing me to weep and to cry and to be overwhelmed with grief. And that's what's happening in my world, in my world right here. Um, as, as we do so often, you know, you think about uh, what that is. And if you're, if you're an only child, it's easier to think this way, right? But if you have a lot of siblings, you get confronted with this idea that the whole world does not revolve around you. It's not a very pleasant thing, Right? when the whole world doesn't revolve around you. Um, I, I wasn't an only child, but I, I had a sister, and she had her room, and I had my room. And that's all there was, right? And so there was a, a sense of a built-in selfishness that we could have. Um, the more kids you have, 
the more my selfishness bumps into your selfishness. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have selfishness challenged. In this passage, verse 15, this new way of living, this upside down way of living, 180 degrees, based on the gospel type relationships, it says, rejoice and weep with those who are doing that. And the hard thing about that is, right, it's no longer right here. It's no longer right here. I'm looking at you in your eyes. I'm looking at you in your eyes. I'm hearing your voice. I'm considering your, your body language and your countenance. And I'm wondering what's going on with you. This is, this is a hard thing because uh, it, some of you have thought this through and you said, well, if I'm worried about what's going on with you or with the world around me or even collectively what others are talking about, what about me? Who's going to take care of me? And we will get like this whole passage, this whole passage, as I shared before, is based upon the fact that if we know Christ, he's granted us all that we need. And that he can be trusted. He can be trusted. And so we can set aside our own rejoicing and weeping and enter in, enter in to the ones around us. It's other-centered living. It's rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep to enter into their world. And I want to tell you, it's helpful. It's helpful. It's healing. It's, it's a blessing. And I... Uh, most of us know people who do this well, don't we? We know people who come alongside and, and join into whatever's going on in our lives. And we go, man, that, 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 those people are gold. And I want to tell you, that's the work of God working through people to be the blessing uh, that we need at those times. And so I'd encourage us, what is this new way of relationships? What is this, how to even deal with difficult people? is to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Number three, I have four points this morning. I, I, I don't like having four points. I like having three, five, ten. But anyways, uh, I'm doing four. You're busting out, you know, out of my comfort zone. Four. Uh, three, uh, humble, harmonious living. Uh, verse 16. As part of this, he says, live in harmony with one another. Uh, uh, you should, when you see one another, many times that is just simply talking about life with other believers, one another's, the one another's. And so uh, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. Uh, as you think about harmonious living, it's obviously not fighting, but it's, but it's also the, the, the picture of harmonious. When you think of harmony, harmony, most of the time you think of music, right? It's the idea of it coming together in a beautiful way. And it's not just that you're not fighting, but it's that there's some kind of beauty that comes together in a beneficial way. And, and this is hard. Why is this hard to do in the church? Why is it hard to live in harmony in the church? So you go, it's too hard to think about, uh, you know, because uh, we're different, right? We're different. 
Uh, what's different about us? Everything, right? Not everything, but most things, right? Our history, our families we came from, our occupations, our ancestry. Some of us, you know, the place we came from before we came here, right? And, and you think about all those things, and there's plenty of reasons to not like each other, right? And to kind of fight with one another or to say, I, I need my own space and my own things. But what he calls us to is this beautiful living within the church. This idea of, uh, of seeking and living out uh, harmonious living. And you say, well, how do we, that, that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. In fact, we don't see many examples of that in our world today. We don't. We don't. Uh, we see quite the opposite, um, this idea that people are constantly moving away from one another, spreading out and getting away from one another because we can't stand uh, the ways that um, other people cause us to have to change. And so we say, forget it. I'm just going to move out farther and move to Tehachapi so I don't have to be around all those people in the city in Rome. No, I'm just kidding. Kind of, I'm just kidding. Uh, But anyways, uh, he says, live in harmony with one another. It's hard. hard. And you know what? It's harder. It's harder to do the more people are there, right? It's back to the big family. Uh, It's funny because if you picture living in a city with millions of people, some of you don't need to picture it. You just remember it, right? And the, the beauty of the big city is you don't have to care about anybody, right? You hop on the freeway and you go, ah, there's too many people on here. I don't know any of these people. Or you go to the grocery store and you say, ah, I didn't see anybody I knew. Uh, And and there's this idea that it's hard to care about and see humanity for that. And and within the church, it's the same way. I know uh, many of you have come from large churches. You slide in the back and you, you do your thing. You get your coffee and then you go, right? And then you go. And there's not this sense of community. But what you find when you meet people is that it's sometimes difficult to live in harmony. But yet he calls us to that. And he also gives us kind of a, a roadmap of how to do that. Don't be haughty. Don't be haughty. But associate with the lowly. The, the idea of haughty being lifted up. The lowly, uh, the idea of associating with them. He, he doesn't go into why they're lowly. It could mean uh, that they're needy. They're needy, both financially or even uh, the idea of they're, they're a little messy to be with, right? Um, and I know that some of us have been those type of people, that the sins that we've committed and the places where we've come from charted a path that makes us uh, ones that are difficult to deal with. And so the idea of being financially needy or spiritually needy or just simply uh, thinking, one thinking that they are above, they're above uh, by education or looks or finance, whatever those things that would cause one to think that they are better than one another. He says, don't be haughty, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And the picture there is this, is that we would, not, it, we would not take into account their lowliness. We wouldn't take it into account. It's, it's the idea of, it, it, I always think it's funny when we say, well, not to see 
their poverty or not to see their ethnicity. Or, and, and that's ridiculous because we do see those things. We do see them. But it's the idea of seeing them but not taking into an account uh, whether they're higher or lower because of what we see. And it's this idea of associating with them, of being with them. And once again, I do believe that this is in relationship to the gospel in the church. Don't be haughty, but associate with the, with the lowly. It's interesting in the midst of talking about relationships, he says something that's an internal thing. He says this. Um, he says, never be wise in your own sight. Never be wise in your own sight. Um, and and I, I'll say he's already mentioned that in this chapter, this idea of how you think about yourself. Uh, he's already mentioned it. And uh, I think that that's so critical to this idea of harmonious living. I, I think it's critical in our relationships if you think, if you think you're the smartest guy in the room, that's going to be a, a deal breaker in your relationship. If you find yourself to, to hold the wisdom needed for every situation and, and you're the answer to the, everyone else's problems, if you think of yourself that way, I want to tell you, that's going to be a barrier to your relationships. But there's this, and, I, and I, I use this word in the title of this point, humble, humble. When you're wise in your own eyes, you're not humble. You're not humble. And I, I want to tell you that how do you work on humility? Well, read the scriptures for one thing. Uh, and you say, well, how's that? You know, some, some people can be proud about reading the scriptures. That's true. But if you listen to the words in the Bible, in the Bible, and you hear the story of God loving sinful people, and you make the connection that he loved you, and you hear the word mercy and grace, and you realize that you didn't deserve your salvation, these will be helpful for you to take your rightful spot. And, and as you know who you are apart from the gospel, um, that'll be helpful for you as well as to see how the greatness of God uh, it's always ridiculous when we get together and we uh, talk about rank ourselves one to another and we say, oh, I'm better than you and this and that. And because the issue isn't us one to another, it's compared to our creator. And so for us to think of ourselves as wise in our own eyes, um, it's ridiculous. But it's also helpful as we think about who we are, that will be helpful for us to think about how to be harmonious with one another. Number four, number four. And I, I want to, before I move on, humble is how it's done, okay? Humble is how it's done. If, if you're not humble, this isn't going to work. This isn't Christ's way, Jesus' way. He, he, he showed the path before us. He was humble. He was humble. Which brings us uh, to number four, dealing with evil, uh, in this list, and my title was talking about dealing with difficult relationships, right? Uh, how many of you have at least one relationship that you have a tough time dealing with? I want to see a show of hands. At least one. And if it's your wife and she's with you here, like, don't point her out or anything, okay? Um, 
If you're at home, good luck to you. Good luck to you, you know, it's just you and her, uh, and the dog maybe. Um, dealing, uh, and, and this, is so, this is such a uh, um, helpful passage if you get it. This is such a helpful passage. Um, this will have opportunity to be played out over and over and over again, and it will save you. It will save you much grief. Uh, If you can get this next passage. Verse 17. I'd say it this way. No repayment plan. Dealing with evil. First of all, no repayment plan. Verse 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil. And uh, there's not this escalation clause, okay? They did this, so I had to do this. And, and, And how does that work out, right? How does... You know, we're, we're kind of doing it as a nation right now, right? How are we, you know, this is how people get in wars. How? Because you did something and I feel like I have to respond. And why do I have to respond? Why is it the obvious choice to repay evil for evil? Why is it the obvious choice? Because you say, well, if I don't, if I don't repay them, They'll do it again. They'll do it again. And I need to teach them a lesson. And the lesson is this. Nobody treats me like that. Nobody. I'm going to teach them how to treat me. And even as I share this, I know that we use some of this language. I know we do. I hear it. I've used it. I hear it from you as we're talking about difficult things. And you say, well, I had to do something. There had to be a repayment plan. God's word, Paul instructs the Romans, Spirit of God inspired word, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Okay, so that's the old way. That's the Darwin way. What is God's way? How how does this work out if God is giving me a new way of living? He says this, Uh, Look down at it, verse 17. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Be careful the way you read this. It's not, you know, taking a a survey of what happens in our sinful world and then doing what's right in our sinful world. The idea here is that we would understand what the moral kind thing to do is. And that we would do it, that we would do it, that would be uh, known as goodness, both to the believer and to the unbeliever, okay? Uh, As you think about, um, just a simple one, but if you, you see somebody stuck in the ditch on the way home from church, what is the moral kind thing to do? If you can help them, do so. Uh, Some of us are not all that helpful, so we should just find somebody else to help them, okay? But we, the, the idea is, is to see uh, what is right, what everyone would see as good, and then that we would do that. And this is, we're going to get to this, and I'll just say it now. It's treating that one that is evil with kindness as if they were your friend, as if they were your friend. 
to treat them as if they were your friend. Now, it's not this, this new commitment to them that well, I'm going to see them every day, I'm going to think about them, I'm going to text them. It's, it's not this repetition. But in this situation, as the opportunity is there, it's treating them as a friend. Not treating them as an enemy. Not treating them in like kind to the evil that they have done you. Verse 18. This is a highlight for me as I go through this passage. It's all inspired word of God, but this is a highlight for me. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, as I read that, I read that, I hear some things. He's kind of gone on the bullet list and uh, short, tart phrases over and over again. And if this would continue in that kind, verse 18 would read like this. It would go, repay no evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Live peaceably with all. Next point. But what does he say? What does he say? He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, me, live peaceably with all. Stop the war. If it depends on you, stop the war. Uh, the word, I always think of the word reconciliation. If we, have a, if we have a problem in our relationship, we need to work it out. We need to work it out. And, and what Paul acknowledges, what God acknowledges through Paul in this passage is this. There are some relationships that cannot be reconciled. We can't get to the place of peace, of reconciliation coming back together. And I I know we go, that's good because I didn't like that person anyways. You know, that's good because, you know, it, it makes me feel more comfortable being in that place of like, I don't have to see him. We just have this unreconciled relationship. I want to add this point, and I think this is the key to, to this. If possible, so far as it depends on you. And what I like to think about in this passage is this. A one-sided peace. A one-sided peace. You can't have real peace. You can't have harmonious living if both of them aren't working together. You can't. You can't. But you can have a one-sided peace. A one-sided peace. You can be the one to say, uh, will you forgive me for what I've done? Uh, it, it, it's, we talked about it this last week at our, our men's study. We talked about forgiveness. And, and how do you forgive? You know, how do you forgive? It's real simple. You're forgiven. You're forgiven by God. And you count, you make the list of the things that you're forgiven of. And you understand the, the depths of your need for forgiveness. And then, and then you go like this. I can't hold you. Like, you're just like me, right? And this isn't an issue between me and you. This is an issue between you and God. And so we can forgive. And, and sometimes that forgiveness, that reconciliation can't come about. But it shouldn't be on your side. It should not be on your side. And so there, there's this idea 
that we would even be willing to go to the other, go to the person that is mad at us or we're not in a peaceful relationship and we'd say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? I confess, this is what I did. And they say, I'm still mad at you. And you say, sorry to hear that. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, and I'm going to still hold it against you. I'm sorry to hear that. But I'm working this out with the Lord and I hope that one day we can be reconciled, that we can be at peace once again. And what you're doing is you're taking care of your side. You're taking care of your side. It's not being uh, saying, well, we're at war. Well, why are we at war? Because they shot at me first and I'm shooting back. And, you know, every once in a while they shoot at me and I shoot back at them and I just keep it going. And, and you say, no, I'm not going to keep it going. As far as it depends on me, as far as I know, as much as I can do, I will do. And that will be that one-sided piece. I, I want to tell you that this one principle can save you so much grief, so much grief. And it's not just about saving you grief, but it can free you up to live as Christ saved you to live. Uh, so mark that, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He, he moves on, verse 19, and he uh, says, live knowing vengeance is mine. Um, Live knowing vengeance is mine. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave, uh, leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This comes, vengeance is mine, uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 32. But the picture here is this. Um, and, and back to that thinking, the Darwinian thinking that says, I have to protect myself. What the picture here is this, is, is seeing a situation, feeling the evil come against you, and to step aside, step aside, and let God take care of it. Step aside and God, God take care of it. Um, the thoughts that come up in our mind is to say, well, you know, maybe I don't trust the Lord to take care of this. That's a funny thing, isn't it? When we say, you know, God, I got this one. I, I got this one. I can figure it out. I know exactly what needs to happen. But it's, that's not the case. The, the case is to step aside and let God take care of it. And, and why, why uh, do you do that? Why, why is it? Well, in this verse, it says, uh, that God has an anger. God has an anger. And, and that's really the issue. It's not your anger, right? It, it's not because you've been offended. It's because if there's sin involved, God has been offended. And stepping the next step from there, uh, God says, it is mine. It is mine to take care of. I will be the one to repay, says the Lord. And I, I would say it this way. God will take care of this with his precision and his righteous wrath. Precision and his righteous wrath. He knows exactly what needs to be done to the degree. He, he knows the person. He knows about his grace and his love for that. Like he knows everything. And so he has all the details 
to know how to handle this. I was reminded this last week uh, as I was thinking about forgiveness. In the Old Testament, the story of Joseph, and Joseph uh, got sold into slavery by his brothers, and then he was sold again to this um, rich man's household. And in that household, he did well, and he honored the Lord even in his job. And but his, the the lady of the house, she accused him of immorality, and he got thrown into prison. And in that prison, he sought to serve the Lord there. But even there, he got forgotten again. And, and then finally, he comes to prominence in the leader of Egypt. And he does this great role of saving really the whole, not just that country, but in the area, areas outside of there. And these many years later, his brothers who started this mess, come upon him looking for his favor. They didn't know it was him, but they were looking for food. And and there was an obvious place for vengeance. There was an obvious place for repayment of sins that had happened years ago. And Joseph um, didn't do that. He, He was kind to his brothers, and they were fearful. They knew it was coming. And he said this phrase, he said, am I in the place of God? Not my job. Not my job to sort out. God had a plan for this. And as we look upon those who would bring evil to our lives, we should know that vengeance is mine. Not vengeance is mine, but God says vengeance is mine. So it's not mine, it's his. And so we should step aside and wait and trust that he will take care of it. Verse 20, what should we do in its place? Food and drink. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. What should you do in the moment? A kind deed. A kind deed. And you say, well, then I'll get taken advantage of. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says it's like heaping burning coals on their head. There's an Egyptian uh, custom that when someone was, you know, caught or the shame of the day, they would have a bowl that they would put on their head and that they would put coals in it. And it, it was uncomfortable and dangerous and it was a sign of shame and sin. And the, the picture here is this. Whatever that look is, it's this very uncomfortable thing that as we are kind to them, it puts them at a spot of uncomfortable kindness that you have shown to them. And I think we all understand this, right? We've wanted to fight with our brother or sister or somebody else, and and then we realize they showed kindness to us, and it makes us so mad. Why does it make us mad when we want to fight and someone's kind to us? Because if they respond in like kind, our anger's justified. But when we realize what's going on and we see the kindness of, of someone, especially the genuine kindness that comes from the gospel, man, that's an uncomfortable position to be. Food and drink. This is how we respond. And then lastly, verse 21, win the war win the war. And I say win the war. Read what it says. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you win the war? 
uh, you do it God's way. And you'd say it this way, winning God's way. That's what I'm about doing. And that it's the goodness that comes from him. And this all goes back to real quickly. How did God show us his kindness? How did he treat us? Well, that's the way we're going to treat others. That's the way we're going to handle difficult relationships. Three things as we close this morning. I would just say this first, slow down and learn the new way. Slow down and learn the new way. And I, what I've been talking about as the gospel is, I want to tell you that it's, it's kind of awkward sometimes. And I say awkward because we've been doing it the wrong way most of the time generationally. Okay? When did I learn this bad behavior? Well, I didn't. It was in my grandfather, my great-grandfather. It was in my great-great, however many it is, grandfather Adam, right? That's what Romans tells us. We're in a long line of sinners. And, and we have different flavors within families. And I, I want to tell you, there's a default position that we would go to. And I just want to tell you that we should slow down in conversation and relationship and say, hey, there's a new way of doing this that comes from my relationship with Christ. Comes from him. Number two, uh, that we should no longer or no more fight for our rights. No longer fight for our rights. There is time to fight, but it's not for your rights. Not for justice in relationships. It's you fighting for a, a group of people that are needy. There's times to fight for that. But this idea of fighting for our personal rights is no more. And you say, well, how? How can that be? I want to tell you, because God is the one who loves you so much. He's got you. He's got you. Which brings me to my third and final point. Trust him to build and preserve your relationships and your reputation. Trust them. Trust them. As you look at difficult relationships, just pray to say, God, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to fix this. I like fixing stuff, and I can't figure out how to fix this. I'm just going to do what you've said. I'm going to do what you've said, and I'm going to trust you to fix it because you're better at fixing things than I am you're the one who took care of me and my mess of life. And so I know if you can fix me, I know that you can fix this relationship. You know what you're doing. I don't. I don't. I'm going to trust you. God, we do ask for attitudes like this. We do ask that you would make us mindful in our relationships, that you would help us. God, I, I, I think about the difficult relationships represented here in this room, and I just ask that you would grant us grace and mercy and joy even as we seek to repair these. Uh, God, I ask for healing. I ask for your work to be done. Uh, Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for each one here. We praise you for them. In Jesus' name, amen.